Today's episode of the Black Flag Podcast is brought to you, as always, by Solero Commerce. You know the name, you know the drill. They've been with us since the very beginning, and they got some great new technology coming through. So if you want a small business that accepts debit or credit cards, you got to check them out. Contact Evan Orvath or get in touch with one of us, and we'll get you a free second opinion on your current merchant service provider. Brad Keselowski is going to be shown the Black Flag. It's the Black Flag Podcast. Every fucking week. Fuck, I hate my fucking job. Race analysis. Yeah, we're only girls pull hair, so. Maggie forgets that if they changed the rules and took the champion's provisional away, he wouldn't have been able to race the last two years, so. Uh... Occasional alcohol consumption. Uh, Jimmy Johnson is on pit road because I think he's the leader. And calling people on their shit. It refrains me from not beating the shit out of you right now because you ask me stupid questions. This week's Black Flag Podcast is now in session. Hey, we had some out we beat him so it's all good all right boys and girls uh we got a little nice little uh midweek pop-up show coming here for you uh as always i'm charlie sanborn at c sanborn i i i across the table for me is brad sauce here at b sauce 96 now as some of you may know uh both bradley and myself have both tested positive for the covid19 virus now conveniently enough we both feel fucking fine uh we i've never been better if you will so uh that being said we're we're trying to play it safe so we don't hear from all you karens out there about us going out and about and gallivanting so just shut the fuck up about that but through this process we have been on a bit of a covid quest for content if you will Every single day this week, we have sat down and had an interview with somebody uh, to to help uh, get some content out there for you, all you Black Flag pals and uh, you know everybody that listens to the show here. So uh, today, interestingly enough, uh, you know, coming off of our, our little trip from Pensacola, Florida, for the Snowball Derby, we touched on it briefly, where we were just kind of walking out of the gate one night, and uh, all of a sudden we hear a voice saying, "Hey, I like that mullet," and uh, from there, Bradley Bradley turns around and. It's Mr. Bob Dillner, and uh, for those that you, those of you that don't know, very very uh, prolific uh, uh, feature on Speed Channel back in the day when that was still a thing, uh, all over Mav TV now. Uh, formerly from New York, but now is in I think he said Indianapolis, but was down in Charlotte, the Charlotte area for a while. Uh, we had a nice little chat with him today, didn't we, Bradley? Yeah, it was a uh, refreshing. He was uh, he seems like he's one of the good guys. Um, you know, just loves racing as from the very beginning. So, uh, yeah, it was interesting. It, it's, you know, as some of you know, or all of you know, I guess, should know that we usually start this show by cracking a beer, and, uh, you know, we, we didn't do so because it is now 11 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so just wanted to let all of you know that we sometimes can be respectable. Well, we well. can we can be uh, adults. Well. Well. We can be... <laughs> uh, Response? Response? No, that's not. That's right. it doesn't we can feel be, right. I mean, we have COVID right now, so we can be adult. Adult. Well, we are well, being responsible by not leaving the premises. Yeah, right. Obviously, I mean, like I said, we like we were, were supposed to get on a bird tomorrow and fly uh, to North Carolina, uh, and that cost us about one hundred and ninety dollars. Can we to, talk uh, about change flights? Can we talk about that real quick? That was that was wild. So we were like you said, we we're supposed to get on a plane, head down to North Carolina, hang out with some some pals, some friends, go to the Dillon Street Stock Race, have a time, right? We're going to go to Dillon Speedway. Never been before. I was looking forward to it. Um, so we were just going to do a simple flight change because, you know, after our, our quarantine, which should be done Friday, Saturday, something like that. Friday. Yeah, so uh, we're going to have a time this weekend. But uh, we, like I said, we had to reschedule this. And now to push it back one week, literally just one week, same days, Thursday to, to Monday, was going to cost us 
$800 extra. Yep. Which literally makes no sense. Well, at all. It's a holiday weekend. Fuck them. I don't care. That doesn't make sense. Now, to push it back two weeks, it was only, what, like $92 a person? Yeah. Wild, wild concept to me. I don't know where those numbers come from at all. But um, so we, we pushed our, our, our southern trip back a couple, two, two weeks. Uh, we're going to go down, hang out with all sorts of people. It sounds like we got all sorts of plans. But uh, like I said, this has been a, a COVID quest for content for sure uh, this entire week. And, you know, we're, we're, we're hoping you guys enjoy this. Yeah. So obviously getting the coronavirus isn't um, what we were looking for, uh, <laughs> I, I would say. Uh, and, you know, it, it is what it is. And it ruined our plans for sure. But, yeah, we're going to, um, you know, it now pending survival as long as we survive till the weekend. <laughs> Um, we are going to party like uh, we just, we you know, we're, we're fighting for our life right now. So we're really going to get after it this weekend, I would assume. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, we have some great shows that uh, that we recorded this week. And, and it, had we not gotten the coronavirus, I don't know if we would have recorded all of them. So yeah. um, I'm sure that we would have gotten to them eventually, but I don't know if they would have been back to back to back like they're going to be. So uh, yeah, some great guests and, and some... Uh, we got some plans out of it. So yes. although our plans did get ruined this week, it sounds like uh, in a couple of weeks when we go down to North Carolina, we are going to have some additional plans that we might not have had previously. So yeah, we're looking we're looking forward to seeing all all sorts of pals down there. We got Scott Dinan, Alman Evans, uh, the whole crew down there from the old Breeze Roadhouse in college. We got Brandon Lamb, uh, Zach Griggs, Sidney Schumann, all those guys. We're we're looking forward to seeing you guys. Um, and then also, you know, hopefully we'll see some of our pals from the show that we've met very recently too. Florida pals, Connecticut pals, maybe. Um, and then, you know, we'll just have a time down there for sure. So, uh, that being said, we, we did just sit down with Bob Dillner. It's a fantastic show. We hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, we covered pretty much the whole spectrum of, you know, beginning to end and what, what we're looking forward to here from both him and speed 51. And maybe we can all, uh, do something together at some point, but, uh, just sit back, relax, and, and enjoy the show that we got for you for a midweek deal. And and one last thing is the midweek deals have always been not like purposely, but they they're they're somewhat of backmarkers to everyone. Where we've always kind of been on the premise of hey Monday, like make your Monday suck less. Yep. Well, this is a great show. This is one of our best shows, I would say. Yeah. And we want and, to get it out to you guys. And we want to make sure that we get it out, and uh, that there are some events that need to be. Uh, promoted and they happen to start this coming weekend and uh yeah so this is why it's coming a little early so i urge you as uh you know a lot of you guys do anyways please share on social media yes do the instagram thing uh, that obviously helps get the show promoted and uh gets other people to go and click yeah. on the show and listen and uh the midweek deals have always been uh, you know, they've done slightly less numbers than, uh, the, than the Monday shows. And, and I don't think that there's really a reason for that. I mean, on a lot of the shows, maybe like we're just shooting the shit, yeah. but most midweek shows, we don't have Bob Dillner on the show. So, <laughs> right. um, this is one that I think that absolutely someone should, or people should tune into and, uh, uh, yeah, urge you to share it on social media and, and to the people, some, some people on, on the BFP account, we don't follow everyone back. Um, our follower count has grown substantially and somewhere we got lost yeah. as most business, I guess, pages do, yeah. um, whether we're a business or not, you can figure that yeah. out amongst, amongst yourself. But some people do uh, share it on their social medias and uh, they put it as their story. And, and if your account is private, that doesn't send us a notification. So please don't get upset yeah. if you don't end up storied by BFP. And, and um, it, no one has. 
I just have noticed on my personal account there are people that I follow that maybe the BFP account does not follow back. And I see your story on my account, and then I will go follow request you on the BFP account so then we can share it that way. But um, I'm sure that there have been tons of people that have done it on Instagram. We still appreciate that a lot because yeah. it's still getting out to just, all your followers. Just because but... you don't get a follow back sometimes does not mean we don't love you. No. That is not the case at all. We love each and every one of you. We, it still blows my mind. Blows my mind that this literally started with a text message saying, hey, what do you... Th-? Or actually, it was a Snapchat saying, what do you think about doing something like this? And we, you know, we slowly got like the shitty... The, the walkabout mics and we started in Bradley's basement. Now we have half-ass legitimate equipment and we're doing this, trying to do it to the best of our ability. ability you get it. The, the correct way. So uh, the the only way that we're going to be able to do that is if you guys subscribe, rate, review, share the shit out of this because, you know, we're getting to that breaking point, I think, where, you know, this is going to become a relatively big deal for a lot of people. And, um, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, show us that you're listening. Just get, get us that get us that little check mark there for for whatever it is that you're listening on, and and, and you know we we want to have you guys come up 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 with us. You know we're, we want to make this a show. We want to make it a party everywhere we go, and we want to take each and every one of you with us. So the only way to do that is to do what Bradley's saying. Share it on your pages. Share it on your stories. You know, subscribe, rate, review. Subscribe, rate, review. You got to do it every time, and um, you know that only helps us, which inherently is going to help you guys for for what we want to do as a, as a mission here, and just you know keep short track racing alive and and make it a good time for everyone. Yep, yep. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your pets, tell your tell you know anyone they'll listen. Just yes. maybe tell yourself. Talk. Just just say you know. Just just shout out the Black Flag Podcast every once in a while. Maybe to yourself in the mirror. Yeah. Who cares? Get a sticker. Put it on something. We don't care. We want it all over the place. There's really no limits at all. Now, uh, one last thing, too. Head on over to the Patreon app. Become a Black Flag Premium Patron Pal or whatever it is. Uh, get 20% off all merchandise. Get some uh, extra content as well, exclusive content. Um, again, this week's going to be a little bit different just because we are packing so much good, good, good interviews in uh, with a lot of a lot of good people, a lot of good folks, and we just want to share as much of this with you guys as you can while we have the ability to. Um, you know, twenty twenty, we marked. You know, COVID kind of gave us a weird opportunity to do a lot of extra things that we never typically would have done. This week specifically, it's kind of doing the same thing. There's not very often where Bradley and I are in uh, the same area as 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 often as we have been the last few days uh we still got a few days to go so we're trying to cram as much stuff together as we can uh just because we do truly love each and every one of you that that support this show and uh we just want to give back to you as much as we possibly can yeah we went from one basement to another um don't don't let don't let the facts get in the way of a good story we are on the come up we are also still sitting at a dinner table um the chair that i am currently sitting in is wooden and broken uh, and yeah, we still are using GarageBand, and it's plugged into a dongle uh, my, <laughs> on my laptop. All the mics are, uh, I should say. And uh, yeah, very shoddy setup, but we, we get the job done sometimes. Yeah. You know, it's very unprofessional, I would say, which is exactly. I don't oh, think friend. that we're, we're. I don't think we're trying to get away from that whatsoever. No. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it, it. This week has been cool. We've had some some guests on that we've been talking about getting on for quite a while, um, or you know I think we we finally have covered all the bases from the people that we met at the Snowball Derby. Uh, that that we've we're all, all done those interviews, so now we'll have to go meet some new people at uh, Speed Weeks in New Smyrna, and uh, yeah, go from there. Yeah. I guess. And the and the best way for us to do that is if you guys uh, just help us out, like I said, with the Patreon app and do all that stuff, and just share the shit out of this, and you know get mom, dad, cousin 
cousin fucker, whatever, the, all, all to listen and uh, just, you know, be, be one of the pals with us. And, you know, we, like I said, we just love the party. We love short track racing. We love all things motorsports. It doesn't matter really what it is for a car or an event. We want to be there. And the only way that we can be there is if you guys help us out in terms of just sharing the shit out of this. So uh, let's get BFP out there. And uh, again, you know, some phenomenal content coming to you. And we, we really hope you enjoy this midweek show. Yeah. And uh, shout out Zachary Barber. The uh, sole person to have subscribed on Patreon as of Wednesday at 11 o'clock, 1130. Uh, yep. So we'll, uh, as we do um, throughout the rest of the week, if anyone else subscribes to Patreon, they will uh, get shouted out on the on the, the next show, I guess. Um, we'll have that coming out Sunday, Monday Yep. with Andy Sice. Yes. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, we'll have Bailey Curry on the week after that, I believe. Yeah. And then we'll have... Hopefully quite the show for episode 100. Yes. Not quite sure how that's going to operate because I think that conveniently that is the week that we are out. Yes. We're away. So we're going to have to figure out how we're going to record that, like maybe midweek or something. Um, but yeah, we like to party. So we'll party on a Wednesday. Whatever. It yeah. is what it is. Doesn't matter to me. Um, and uh, one last thing that I did want to mention is uh, a lot of people, well, not a lot of people, I guess. A couple people have been like, hey, how do I sponsor the show? Um, easily. We have packages starting at a couple packs of beer, yeah. <laughs> and that's it. All the way up to dollar bills, depending on how much of an ad you want, how much, how much time. It's a, it, right, it, you know, sponsorship in, in racing specifically. It's all about how much exposure you want. So, you know, you can get us a couple packs of beer, and we'll give you a shout out. Or if you want us to go on a full on ad read, you know, we can. We got we got stuff we can talk about for sure. So, uh, just get a hold of either one of us, and you know, just come along the ride with us. So, yeah, uh, I'm sure that. You know, with the next two shows, uh, of course, this is going to be a big one. Uh, a little late to sponsor this one, <laughs> but the next two shows are going to be big. And then we go to North Carolina, where we're going to be introduced to more people, uh, get more people, bigger names on the show, or I guess not necessarily bigger names, but big names like we have rolling out starting with this show. Um, and uh, yeah, then we go to Florida, which I'm positive we're going to have some bigger names on the show. So yeah, uh, yeah it's a, it's going to be a, it's going to be a good couple of weeks. Yeah. And uh, this is. Obviously, the downtime up here in the Northeast. There ain't much going on. It's snowing on the ground. It's snow on the ground right now. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm excited. It's it. It's become quite the weird little, uh, not quite not quite a traveling circus just yet. But I think we're we're getting close to that point. I think where potentially, you know, maybe we're gonna have to start adding a person or two for certain certain things, and then uh, you know, we'll we'll start going places and doing more stuff and meeting new people and and uh you know getting some things in place also uh hopefully at some point in time here in the next couple of weeks we're gonna have one sole place to go look for merchandise but we'll we'll have more uh, information on that a little bit later but again you know just just have yourself a, a wednesday here today's wednesday right i don't know i don't know it, it all blends. days have all blended together it's kind of wild it all blends together all i know is that, that uh quarantine started on wednesday yep last week for sure so, uh, yeah, episode 97 and a half. Have a time with uh, Bob Delner and us. All right, boys and girls. So as we just alluded to a little bit here, we've got someone who uh, I think we've all seen on TV at some point in time. We grew up watching the Speed Channel, all of us. Uh, you know, this is someone who you know, originally from the, the, the Northeast area here from, you know, like the rest of us, you now find your way down south a little bit to do the, you know, promoting the short track racing all over the country. You know, you like I said, you've been on Speed Channel. You've been in uh, all over the place. So with that being said, uh, this is Bob Dillner, everyone. Welcome to the show. We appreciate you coming on. We know you're a busy guy. 
Oh, no problem. Uh, anytime we can talk racing is a good thing. And uh, I, I've listened to the podcast when I'm driving my Ford F-250 down the road, going to from track to track. So I appreciate what you guys do and you bring a, a unique perspective uh, to uh, racing for sure. Well, that's, that's a word you could use for sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah. A lot, a lot of people just say that they've listened to our show just to say that they have, but it sounds like with the unique perspective that you actually have been a listener of ours. <laughs> So that's good. Yeah, well, Brandon Paul, uh, who, who is from Maine, uh, he actually uh, let me know about your podcast and I started listening to it. And like I said, I mean, listen, you know, some people are serious. Some people are conversational. Some people just like to shoot the you know what. And, and all of it is good for for racing, especially short track racing, because we, we saw what NASCAR has done and, and NASCAR went like so far you know, to, to one side in regards to trying to be just straight and narrow and buttoned up and politically correct. And, and it's kind of brought NASCAR down a little bit uh, over the years. And they're trying to change that a little bit. Uh, I mean, remember NASCAR was born baby with, with the, the Allison's and the Arbro's and Daytona and that 500 and fighting. And that's what it was about. And, and that's, my dad was a racer and, you know, he, he got suspended from Riverhead Raceway in New York, or actually it was Lyslip Speedway back in the day, um, because he did some things that were, you know, he wasn't supposed to do. So it's it just, you know, passion is what short track racing is about. And I, I think we've forgotten a little bit of that. So, that, you know, that's that's actually kind of a refreshing take to hear, honestly, you know, that, like you said, the, the, the sport in general seems to be going in a very buttoned up uh, manner, if you will. People are you know, you, you, the term we, we use a lot of, you know, you have a lot of robots now. You got a lot of people who just kind of read from a script all the time. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's you, you hear the same thing every time you see it, put a camera in some driver's face. So, um, you know, you, you, you originally started out in the Northeast here. You're from New York originally, correct? Yeah. Uh, take us on that journey, man. How do you, how do you go from the, the kid in New York to, you know, the, the guy that's, you know, is speed 51? How do you, how do you take us on that journey, man? That, I mean, cause it's not the typical driver's story, if you will, you, you have a much different take on things. Yeah, I was picked on, honestly, uh, all growing up because I lived in Long Island and yeah, Long Islanders are a bunch of spoiled brats when it comes to the sporting world. I mean, you got two football teams, two baseball teams, a couple hockey teams, really three hockey teams and so forth. So, you know, everybody's sticking ball and, and having fun with the professional side of sports and uh, my dad was a racer and we went to the racetrack all the time. Uh, he quit when I was young and basically he wound up, uh, we wound up going to the racetrack, Islip Speedway, which is where it started out. That place is now a cookie factory, which sucks. Um, but, uh, you know, he would get one of those orange seatback chairs, put it into the grandstand, take his belt off, strap me into the chair. I don't know why, because if I fell out, I'd fall in the grandstand and just still be strapped to the chair. But he'd give me his steering wheel from his old figure eight race car. And uh, I'd pretend I was my favorite race car driver on the racetrack, Charlie Drazomback and Fred Harback and Richie Evans and all those guys. So that's really how it, you know, started for me. But I remember people asking me when I was in grade school, hey, Bobby, what are you doing? You, you want to go to the Yankees game? Ah, I'm, I'm going to the racetrack. The what? You know, and, and it was neat to see as NASCAR evolved and got, you know, you know, more and more stardom and more and more spotlight that, you know, I moved away in 97 to go to North Carolina and now I'm up in Indianapolis 
And, you know, what was neat is during that rise of NASCAR, I'd go back to the malls when I visited my folks and my relatives back in Long Island. And it was neat to see those Jeff Gordon jackets and the Dale Earnhardt Jr. jackets. And I'm like, see, I was ahead of my time. <laughs> For sure. There's nothing wrong with that at all. So, uh, you know, you were obviously the, the guy that, you know, I think we can probably, uh, uh, you know, relate to that a little bit. You know, that the, you know, the hockey's big up here, you know, stick and ball, like you said, and, you know, me personally, I was always the kid that wanted to go to the racetrack. So I get, I get being picked on there a little bit, but um, you know, that, how do you turn that little passion into, you know, being, being the guy that we see on TV? How do you, how do you end up down South and, and, you know, doing, doing television work? How does, how does that evolve into the journalism world? You know, the funny thing is, is, you know, this is a podcast that maybe some kids shouldn't listen to. And I'll, my story is kind of probably goes along with that because I sucked in school. I was awful. I was a straight C student at best and uh, was always punished. My, my parents were pretty strict. Love them. Uh, but, you know, my, my dad would say, you don't get good grades. You do something wrong. You're in your room. You can't do anything but read or write. Um, and I always read, you know, Speedway Scene and Aerial Auto Racing News and all that stuff. And that was the only thing like I'd read. I wouldn't read my textbooks. So I started writing, you know, stories while I was punished uh, because of bad grades. And, you know, I'd write a bunch of those stories and just put them aside. And my room was a mess. And I remember my mom found it, apparently showed my dad. They brought me downstairs because I thought I was going to be like lectured some more. And they said, what is this? And they held up some of the stories and I'm like, oh, well, you said I can, you know, read and write. So I wrote some stories and they said, you know, we should take this and, and mail it in, mail, not email, uh, into, show you how old I am, into some of the papers. And uh, two weeks later, I got a call from Area Auto Racing News out of Trenton, New Jersey. And they said, uh, hey, you know, your stuff's pretty good. We, we want you to do some writing for us. And that's kind of how it began at, at 15 years old. Luckily, I was tall enough because I had to lie on my NASCAR license uh, to be able to get it. And I was tall enough to get in the pits, get that NASCAR license. And, and that first year at, at Riverhead Raceway, um, I didn't know any better. I, I wasn't your you know, prototypical journalist and I didn't know the rules. So I just wrote what was from my heart and, and what you know, people were talking about the hot topics. And uh, I remember I compared at Riverhead Raceway that year, the purse that they had at that year to like 20 years ago and how pathetic it was. And, you know, you had inflation rates and all that stuff. And the purse didn't even go with the, the cost of the race cars, which is still the same these days. But I remember I got the drivers, Bob Park, Steve Park's dad, was one of them uh, of like five or six drivers. I said, you guys need to strike. And so they parked their trailers outside in the parking lot at Riverhead Raceway and vowed that they were not going to come into the racetrack because of all this stuff that I was writing. And, and listen, as a 15 year old kid, you're like, wow, that's pretty freaking cool. So I, I remember going to sign in um, and Bob, um, Bob O'Rourke's wife, Martha was there signing everybody in. And when I got there, they said, uh, they said, you're not signing in this week. You need to talk to Bob. And she took the telephone and she threw it telephone with a cord and threw it at my chest. And, um, you know, I got a talking to from, uh, you know, Bob and, and, 
you know, the Cromerties, which owned the track at the time. And, and that was my like little initiation into, in you know, the whole journalism and so forth world. And I got away from, I did that like for six years. And then in, in college, I had a mullet, by the way. Okay. <laughs> Just to let you know, I was part of the mullet brigade. So I'm, I'm proud to be a brotherhood of you right there. Um, but uh, I thought I was going to be a DJ, you know, and I had the Bobby Sticks hard rock and countdown at, at college. And, and I got out of racing for about six months and then graduated and realized that that was not going to pay anything or do anything. And uh, last semester of college, got a, uh, an internship with uh, News 12 Long Island. Um, and uh, right out of college, got hired, uh, never was in TV before, ever. Didn't want TV, hated TV. Um, and they hired me and kind of just within the first year, um, you know, started to do different things and learn a lot of stuff. And I, I remember we had uh, nothing about racing on the island. And while I was covering murders and, you know, politics and, you know, economics and all that stuff, I said, we need a weekend show on racing. And I kept on pestering them. And, and basically the short story is uh, after you know, a bunch of pestering, they said, if you can raise the money and, and bring in what you need to do this show, we'll put it on the air for you, okay? So they kind of challenged me and they didn't think I could do it. And a couple of weeks later, I went back and said, got the money, let's go. And it became the, the uh, most popular, the highest rated show on the weekend for that network. And we really just concentrated uh, in the first couple of years around racing on Long Island, then finally branched out to the Staffords and the Riverside Parks and Thompson and Oxford and all that stuff uh, thereafter. And I, I think that was like 92 to 96 or something like that. Shows you I'm dating myself a little bit, but that's kind of how everything began. And and then, you know, got burned out from working a full-time job and that was a full-time job. So quit that after the 96 season got a call from somebody because I was supplying highlights of the uh, Wheel of Modified Tour to ESPN and TNN and their shows. And uh, they said, hey, where are the highlights from Thompson? I said, I didn't go. I'm done. I'm burned out. Um, and they said, what do you mean you're done? And I said, I can't do it anymore. They said, well, you're looking for a full-time job? I said, well, what do you got? They said, we're looking for a reporter. And literally, uh, they flew me down to Charlotte, right behind the Speedway, World Sports, uh, did all the television, uh, motorsports for TNN. And I went down there and they offered me a job. And I'm like, I went back, my wife was six months pregnant at the time. And I said, we're moving to North Carolina. And that's kind of how it began. That's, that's pretty phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> what a wild, what a wild uh, life you've lived so far. And it's really refreshing to hear, like, even going back to when you said that you were picked on as a kid. And then you, you getting into the motorsports world in a completely different aspect because it's, it's hard for someone that doesn't race. And maybe, like you said, your, your family stopped racing uh, early on. It's, it's hard for someone to keep coming back to the racetrack. And I think that we talked, maybe it was last show, a couple shows ago of, uh, you know, just even living, Charlie living in Scarborough, Maine and kids at his high school, not even knowing that Beatridge is right down the road. Like I, don't, I, it, I can't wrap my head around it, but I, I remember being that weird kid in school that just, you know, I would be like, oh, I'm going to the racetrack on Saturday and everyone else wanted to go to the roller skating rink or something like even when we were like super young kids. And, uh, you know, I think that this this whole everything evolving with the racing media is just so important to just get people to even know that the racetrack's there, which is it's wild to me that people can just live their life and have no idea. I remember going up to Beechridge and, and seeing that place for the first time and just 
you know, every racetrack, almost every racetrack I, I went to, I fell in love with, especially as a kid. And it was something really cool going to star, you know, that, that little quarter mile. I don't know what it is now because I haven't been up there in a few years, but they didn't have walls and the, you know, the backstretch or anything like that and cars going out into the woods. And, and it was just like, Holy crap. I mean, it's just incredible that these guys, these super modifieds and modifies were competing there and, and kind of risking their lives to some, some respect on, on being, you know, going off the backstretch and going into the woods. But I, I loved it, man. I mean, it, it was so cool uh, to be able to be a kid. And when I got involved in the, the writing side, the journalism side, I would go in the cube van with George Bernholzel and go up to Stafford Speedway or Joe Mamalito or Eddie DeHunt going up to Oswego and Ben Dodge's old race race team. And, you know, I remember, you know, <laughs> we, we were done with Oswego and trying to get some fast food and we couldn't fit through the, um, the drive through of Burger King uh, with the box truck that he had. And we wound up walking through the drive-through right outside of Oswego Speedway to try to get some Whoppers after the races. You know, those are stories, you know, that, that you know, you just, you know, won't forget about. Or Joe Mamalito, you know, was a guy that, that wouldn't stop going to the racetrack. So he had this funnel, okay, and, and a hose that went outside the, the truck. And if you had to go to the bathroom, Guess what? <laughs> the funnel. I respect that. I've had some trips like that. I would have definitely made someone go about it that way. But uh, yeah, it's just that every going to every racetrack is such a different experience for us being from Maine. I, I think what, we were lucky enough where Beatridge was on a condensed schedule this year and Charlie races every Saturday night. And it kind of allowed us to branch out and go to places we otherwise wouldn't have gone. And so a lot of people look at us funny when like we say that it was an experience just to go to Riverhead to get on that ferry from Connecticut and go all the way over. Like, we, like I, I was, you know, we we're exhausted. We, we might've partied the night before allegedly. And uh, we, we only got an hour or two of sleep. And, and so then we're getting on the ferry and I'm like, Oh, I'm just going to sleep it. I'm just going to sleep throughout the whole trip. And, and uh, Charlie's like, no, I think I'm going to experience this. Like, this is something wild to me. And, and we were lucky enough to hit about 50 tracks or not 50 tracks, 50 events this year, like seven different States. And, and I really branch out, but it's just that experience, like kind of brought out the little kid in me. I know that for sure. You know, you mentioned the ferry and man, I used to do that Orient point. I was on Long Island. So I'd always call it the Orient point ferry and to go up to Thompson or Oxford or whatever. And um, <laughs> I remember one time, I think it was one of the banquets for the Wheeler Modified Tour, the old Bush North series or something like that. And uh, we were coming back and my brother was with me. And, you know, the seas could be pretty rough where the sound meets the ocean there. And um, I, I had to go to the bathroom. So I'm in one of the stalls. And, and I remember just, you know, kind of flopping back and forth. And all of a sudden, somebody goes into the stall next to me and just you just hear what happens after you get hung over for a night and it's all <laughs> over the floor and i'm going oh my gosh this is disgusting and i'm trying to get out of there and then i hear the dude talk like you know he grunts or whatever it was that's my darn brother <laughs> <laughs> if you can't party with the big dog stay on the porch <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect that's perfect oh, uh, so throughout this this little journey here, you know, getting picked on in school and then you know end up on TV. That's kind of 
that's kind of a nice subtle little middle finger to everybody who wanted to pick on you for, for going to the racetrack right so during any of this process did you ever want to actually drive or, or be a part of a team or any and beyond that end of things or were you very much the i want to report the story type of guy no i i'm i'm First of all, I don't like to say I'm a part of the media. I like to say that I'm a, a TV guy, a racer that just happens to be a TV guy. So um, I'm just a, a racing fan, but I wanted to be a racer. I wanted to be, you know, my heroes growing up, man. And um, I, I've raced a bunch. Uh, I haven't raced for a couple of years now, won a couple of races, um, you know, won a, a figure eight race in Michigan, uh, won a race up at uh, Black Rock Speedway uh, up in New York. Um, I was actually better on dirt than I was on, on pavement. Um, but uh, won a street stock race down in the Carolinas. So I used to race about, about five to 15 years ago, that span of 10 years, uh, I would race about 20 something races a year. Um, but growing up, you know, my mom and dad didn't have the money, you know, uh, that say the Logano's hat. Okay. You know, Joey's very blessed and he'll tell you that, you know, in regards to his dad, Tom and, and their family being able to do what they did for him. Uh, but we just didn't have that. Uh, there, there was a reason why, besides the fact that my dad said he sucked, uh, okay, well, he didn't have the money to race and he's raising two kids, my brother, Matthew, who's part of the Dale Jr. download and myself, you know, and, and, and we could just afford to go to the racetrack. So I didn't get to start racing um, until I was in my, gosh, um, late twenties. And um, so a late bloomer, um, you know, they just, you know, they went to that youth movement and I was doing so well and they just didn't want like a 30 plus year old guy anymore because of the Loganos and stuff that were coming up through the rank of, so although I had so much potential, um, I kind of just stuck to the TV route, but no, it, I did. I, I really wanted to be a racer, still do. I said, you know, when I'm 51, obviously 51 is important number for me. Um, my dad was the number 51. And that's where that whole thing kind of came from. Um, I said, when I was 51, I am going to be the, uh, the oldest rookie of the year somewhere in America in some <laughs> sort of racing. I like that answer. That's, it's funny you bring up the 51 because that's literally one of our questions here for you is why not, why not speed 52? Why not speed 50? <laughs> what, you know, where did, where did that come from? You guys should start speed 52 because it would be, you know, one better than speed 51 right now. Um, but it was my dad's number. I don't know why it was my dad's number uh, before he passed. I never got a chance to, to, to ask him that, but you know, we just, we loved our dad and I still have in my office to this day, you know, I have um, their, their billboard, not billboard, but they had like this little banner and it's really like, old school kind of like sticker on fabric and it was 51 and it had the American flag on it on the bottom. It was, we try hard. And, uh, it was him and, and my uncle, um, his brother, uh, John, and they, they raced figure eights and drag cars and all that stuff. And, uh, it, I just remember seeing that in the back of our garage growing up and there was just so much pride that my dad was a race car driver. And when I moved to North Carolina, um, my brother actually went in my dad's garage and he cut out the back, not just took down the, the, uh, the, the banner, but he also cut the, the wood. And I have that framed up in my office to this day, um, because the only thing that we can do is try hard. So everything that I did, you know, whether it was baseball or racing, uh, when I raced, um, every time I had the opportunity, I put, you know, 51 on it. And, you know, we tried when I, 
I remember having this conversation with Speed about uh, the website because originally it wasn't Speed 51. Uh, we came up with the name 51sportsracing.com, which was really big, long, and awful. And we changed it really quickly. Um, so, you know, I was working for Speed at the time. My favorite number was 51 because of my dad. So we put it together in Speed 51. Um, we didn't really want it to be like, you know, loud pedal or, or you know, the top groove or, or something like that, you know. Uh, we just wanted something unique and we just kind of married those two things together from my life. And um, I mean, I, I miss Speed. You know, Speed was, uh, you know, a back to the bone network with a lot of racing. And now I'm with Mav TV and, and they're trying to create that, but minus the NASCAR side of things. So I love the fact that, you know, you got the chili bowl that I get to do and dirt late models and ARCA and all sorts of stuff. So it, it's just, I'm blessed, man. I'm just lucky, honestly. Um, a lot of other people could do uh, what I do. And I've been just fortunate enough to be able to meet the right people at the right time to get to do what I do. Well, it, it sounds like you touched on it there a little bit. I mean, we got some events coming up here. It sounds like you know, the, the general gist of Speed 51, I, I don't know if you want to tell us the exact mission statement, but, you know, it, it's it's basically the, the short track racing, you know, community on, on one little one little area, one little network in which you can, you know, watch, you know, whatever race that you can't be at, you know, throughout the entire country. So uh, we, we got the Chili Bowl coming up. We got Speed Weeks coming up. So you're going to be down there. You get, what, what's What's the plan for Speed 51 throughout all that? Yeah, so Speed 51 is doing a bunch of stuff. Uh, Speed Fest will be the you know first big event, right? Uh, so that'll be down now in Florida, uh, just announced yesterday. So Speed 51 will be there providing all the coverage. And uh, the week after that, we're on the dirt in, in Lakeview, South Carolina. Um, you know, we'll have tons of stuff. ARCA Midwest Tour, CRA, Southern Super Series, Tri-Track Mods, ROC Mods, all sorts of stuff all over the country. And, and Speed 51 will continue to do that. Um, you know, I, I, I love going down the Snowball Derby every year. That's where I met, you know, you guys. And uh, hopefully we'll see you down there again this coming year because that is, it just reminds me of the old race of champions back in the day um, at Pocono and Flemington. Um, you know, where you have it circled on your calendar all year long. And, and I remember going to Pocono and, you know, there'd be, you know, close to a hundred modifieds there. And we would sleep in the back of my dad's pickup truck with a cap on it. And that, that snowball derby has that same feel. So speed 51 is going to be involved with all that stuff. Um, Brandon Paul's really kind of heading all that stuff up now. And, you know, um, you know, it, it's kind of a deal where they do such a good job. I, I don't have to be involved with that. And that allows me to even do other things, uh, promote races uh, to, you know, create different things within racing that add more exposure to short track racing and all my work with Mav TV and Lucas Oil. I mean, the Chili Bowl. Dude, they, they asked me like three, four years ago when Dave Despain was retiring. They said, hey, could you could you do me a favor? Dave's retiring. Could you be the host for the Chili Bowl like Dave has been? And I'm like, <laughs> what? I mean, like Dave Despain and Ken Squire and those guys, they're like my idols. And, and gosh, I still get, you know, chills to think that I get to be the host of the Chili Bowl live on Mav TV. I mean, that's something for a kid from Long Island that I, I never would have thought that I would be able to do. Um, so to do that, and, and I'm now in love with dirt late model racing. 
And I know you don't have a lot of that up there, but listen, you ever want to come to a LucasArts Elite Model Dirt Series show, you let me know and we'll get you in and we'll, we'll show you kind of a little bit of an old school approach. I mean, dude, they have three laps of practice, yep. three laps of time trials that go right into heat races. That's it. Yep. Practice? There ain't no practice like I, I Alan Iverson said, you know. So uh, I, I love it. And and we have the uh, the Florida Speed Weeks now because of COVID. The Georgia portion of Georgia-Florida Speed Weeks was canceled. But uh, all that's going to be uh, live uh, on, uh, you know, some of it's live on MAV-TV. Some of it's live on their streaming platform. And I get to do all that. And I think we're doing like 12 or 14 races uh, in like, 14 or 16 days, something like that. So uh, just try to stay primed, ready, hydrated, and uh, ready to go for the racing season. Looking forward to it for sure. Well, we're definitely going to be down there for speed weeks. We we don't really have a super concrete plan yet. We basically just have uh, uh, tickets, and we're going to show up and see what happens for the most part. I don't know where we're staying or anything yet, but um, it'd be cool to meet up with you at some point and see, see what we can do. But uh, I mean, you've, you've touched a little bit on like the Chili Bowl and, and Speed Weeks and all that stuff. So, you know, throughout the country, you know, Speed 51 does a lot of things. You get to, you know, you're very fortunate to be able to go to a lot of these events. You know, what are some of the maybe the marquee events that are underrated or, you know, places that you should say, hey, you need to go to this, but you maybe have never heard of it? Well, it depends on what perspective. Are you looking for good racing? Are you looking to party? A combination all of both? B, all of the above. <laughs> Listen. Anytime you can go to the Midwest, I'm telling you, nobody can party like the Midwesterners. Um, all of us, because I'm a native Northeasterner too, you know, we think we're good. <laughs> we ain't got nothing on those people up from Wisconsin, I tell you that. So there's two races up in Wisconsin that I think if, if you're a short track racing fan, you just got to experience. And that's the Slinger Nationals, uh, quarter mile, mega high banking racetrack. Um, and that's always fun at Slinger Speedway in the middle of the summer. And then Oktoberfest at Lacrosse Fairground Speedway in Wisconsin. It, I went up there one time, it was snowing, they were still racing in the snow, and then it was done and everybody was over at the barn and up on tables and drinking and having a good time. Um, you know, I, I think that's good. Winchester 400, I mean, that's a, that's a big one there in Indiana in October. Um, 37 degrees of banking. Um, you don't have that in New England. So somebody needs to get there to see that at some point, um, you know, and, and then on the dirt, listen, I still haven't been to the world 100. Ooh, uh, that sucks. It's like on my bucket list, baby. And now that I'm up here in Indianapolis, you know, that's about, mm, about an hour and a half away, uh, maybe two hours. So I'm hoping to get to that. But um, I, I would say for like, you know, your area, um, Lucas Oil Speedway. And I know I sound like a, you know, a homebody, you know, because I do a lot of work with Lucas Oil and Mav TV, but that racetrack out in Wheatland, Missouri, it is the epitome of the field of dreams. There is nothing for miles, and I mean miles, like like the nearest big town is like an hour away. It's a population of, I think it grew to 386 last year for the town. It doesn't even have a stop light. It has a stop sign. Um, so, that racetrack in the middle of this field and these the cattle and all that stuff pops up this just majestic racetrack that is just beautiful. And it, it is the field of dreams and dirt racing. And the show me 100 that they have there in May is fantastic. So, you know, I think you would be surprised if you, you ever got out there. They actually power wash, power wash for a dirt track 
every square inch of concrete. They have a go-kart track on site. They have a bar, they have a restaurant. The pits are paved. Um, that's just kind of like, you know, a little bit of a taste of what I get to experience because whenever I go somewhere, I try to hit a new racetrack. I'm up to 293 now. Um, and my boys from Speed 51, they asked me to count. I didn't even know like three years ago. So I did go and I was on a cross country flight. So I just got out the national speedway directory and started counting. And so I'm, I'm climbing closer to that 300 mark. Well, we're, we're, Hot on your tails. I think we're probably <laughs> at like 20 or 30, but yeah. <laughs> we'll get there eventually. I know that. So for us, it was cool. Obviously the Oxford 250s every year, August now. Um, and it's, it's hard for us. to Bonfire. It's, it's, it's hard for us to like gauge it compared to the other marquee events throughout the country. But it was wild to us that two, two kids that had never been to the snowball derby before um, grew up in Maine, obviously both of us. And, and we flew down there this year and that was just so wild and like you can't even compare it to the oxford 250 like it, it i i don't want to disparage the oxford 250 by any means because we're still gonna go everyone should still go it's the event up here like it that it, it needs to be attended obviously but it was like some people were saying that like it makes the oxford 250 kind of look like child's play so like the the marquee events i guess around the country would you would you say that you know in no particular order but snowball derby oxford 250 winchester and slinger are those like the 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 main ones because i think that this year my goal it would be cool for us to get to slinger just because we have friends out in in wisconsin so um i think that that's and it's something very banked racetrack something that we don't have up here so i'd like to go get around and start experiencing and getting closer to that 250 number that you just said 293. I think you were right. You know, uh, Slinger, it's not a crown jewel. I, I believe that there's only four crown jewels in super late model pavement racing. And, and you name three of them, you know, with Snowball, Oxford 250. And I think Oxford 250 is the big, biggest single day super late model race in the country. Snowball Derby, listen, it's the granddaddy of them all. It's perfect storm end of the year, Florida, come on. So, you know, then you have the Winchester 400 and the All-American 400 at Nashville. His history at that place, it's just kind of cool. It's got a charisma all to itself. But I, I look at some of those other races like Slinger, you know, uh, that is just, it's fantastic. The Rattler um, down at uh, South Alabama Speedway in March. Listen, Anytime you can go to a place where the winner has to put a rattlesnake around his or her shoulders, that's that's badass right there. And I, I don't know if I do it. I, I might say, keep the check. I'll take the trophy and I'm going. Well, even the trophy has a snake in it, too. It's dead or, yeah, well, or I don't, manufactured. I don't do snakes. That's like the one thing that makes like my dress blow up over my head and make me squeal a little bit. Like I, I just don't snake at all. Uh, that, make, that makes two of us. So yeah, it is. It is kind of a problem there for sure. Uh, and like the toilet bowl classic. I don't know if you guys have heard that one. You know, we're just kind of getting into oddities, right? But the toilet bowl classic. I think it's uh, Tuckasegee Raceway or something like that. I think it's in Tennessee, and it's early. It's like in January, February, and and the winner, the trophy, is a porcelain toilet, and the winner sits on the toilet in victory lane. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I think I think that that's that's part of what makes um, you know particular things an event though. That's what makes it the destination. You know, yeah. I mean, you touched on it a little bit ago. You you got the World One Hundred. You know, the World One Hundred trophy has a globe in it. Uh, I mean, the 
uh, you know, uh, the kick, the you know, king of the quarter mile at Lima Land, things like that. You know, they, you know, you got a crown or the King's Royal, things like that. Um, you know, which I think is what you and Speed Fifty One did such a good job at for the Snowball Derby. You know, we we've touched on it before. That was an event, and you know, it's it's one thing to go to a racetrack and watch cars go in circle. That's great. That's that's the the essence of why you go to a racetrack. But what you guys did and what Speed 51 did is you made it a spectacle. You know, you had the jumbotrons in the in the corners there. You had the, you know, the, the pit lane reporting. You had the fan zone out front. There was iRacing set up. And it was very much, um, you know, NASCAR-esque in terms of, you know, it was a show. You made it an event. And, and there's a lot of things that I, I would love to adopt what you guys did down there to other events. You know, there's not there's no reason why that same exact scene couldn't be made at Oxford for the 250 and elevate it that much more. And I think that that's what you guys do such a good job at with making these things, not only the the event that it is, but promoting it and helping it become the spectacle that it needs to be for more and more people to want to be involved. You know, maybe I'll hire you someday because, you know, a lot of what I'm doing is outside of Speed 51 right now, too, with promoting some of these races, which, you know, listen, I wound up doing them, you know, on my own, you know, with with a couple of good people that that work with us. And we want to just do different stuff. I remember watching, you know, uh, the Joey Chitwood Thrill Show uh, at Islip when I was growing up. And I loved twice a year they would come. And it was just something a little bit different or some BMX bikers that would flip or, you know, a concert or just something fun. And, and I think, you know, from the pavement side of things, because dirt still got it. Dirt's got it. Pavement people don't get it right now. And I know a lot of pavement people are going to be mad at me. Dirt is so much better than pavement right now, both from the racing standpoint, as well as the show that they put on. And they kind of go hand in hand. But I think since ASA left, since some of the history in regards to some of the racing, even um, whether it's New England or the rest of the country, some of the pavement races have lost that flair and okay, now it's high dollar and it's, it's got to be regimented and rules and this and that. Some, not Greg McCarns, listen, Stafford, they do a great job down there. You know, some promoters actually get it. Some don't. And I, I think we really need to bring a lot of that back. I'll tell you one of my ultimate goals in racing is, uh, you know, and, and we're getting closer and closer. Uh, I, I would love to see a national super late model series come back like the old American Speed Association. Um, you know, it had national TV coverage. It had, you know, it was like the circus was coming to town when ASA would show up, whether it was Cedar Rapids, Iowa, or Montgomery, Alabama, or wherever it, it was. It had your mega stars, your Mike Eddies and your Bob Senecas and your Dick Trickles and so forth. And then it had the new up and comers, you know, the Johnny Sauters and the Kenny Wallaces and, and Mark Martins and all those people that kind of came through ASA. So I'm, I'm going through the process right now of, of honestly, and I really haven't been public about this, is trying to put together the pieces of the puzzle. And this is going to piss some people off, um, but to have something like that. And, you know, we have, we have a lot of great regional tours around America and they do a fantastic job and they need to remain uh, because you need feeder systems. 
Um, but we, we're getting closer and closer to being able to do something on a national basis with super late model racing. So what is it, what is it that's missing then? Because, you know, just, just purely based off of regional status and what we're used to, the Pro All-Star Series, Tom Mayberry, that, that, is, that is for us, that's the pinnacle of where you're going to go before you end up in either ARCA or, or, or whatever route you choose to take. Um, but that being said, you know, the pro all-star series, you know, to me, that would be that I would love to race in that series. I would love to be in a super late model in general. Yeah. That's, that's kind of my next step, my next goal that I would love to be a part of. But that being said, the pro all-star series, it has a little bit of a, I don't know what's missing because there's no real hype about particular races. There's no real, uh, status that comes with being the pro all-star series champion sometimes. And I think a lot of the reason with that is, is that, you know, by the end of the season, you know, you might have 30, 40 people on the points list by the end of the year, but maybe five or six actually went to every single race. So is it, is it a money issue that you think that is holding back what you're talking about, creating a national series where people can, you know, that, that work nine to five or whatever, but still have a race team on the side. Is that what's holding people back from being able to do this cross country national tour? You know, what's the missing link here? Number one, Tom Mayberry doesn't get enough credit for what he does. Uh, he is one of the hardest working guys that I know in the business, and, and he, he rules with an iron fist, and he gets criticized for that a lot. But I promoted races with Tom, and uh, you know, back in 2006 when Pass South started, he and I put that together. And you know, I, I love Tom, and you know, I don't know why people beat up on him, because I always say, listen, if you're going to you know, beat up on them. Why don't you start your own damn deal and find out what it's like to have the risk of all the money. So people got to stop beating up on Tom Mayberry because he does such a good job for, for New England. Um, but I think it's going to take what Tom Mayberry does um, from a racing standpoint and add to it a little bit of, of, of flair if you're going to make a, a national deal much like the American Speed Association. And what you said, it's going to take money because you need to have that bonus program. You need to have the points fund. You need to have what ASA had is you knew 10, 12, 15 drivers would show up because those are the national drivers. And then you would have the regional or local guys that would actually go in there and be part of the deal as well. And now you got a field of 30, 40 race car drivers. And, and you got like, you know, regional wars and, and, you know, you're not coming into my racetrack and taking me down and I'm a national guy and I'm going to come and whoop your butt, you know? So there was that charisma to it, but that only happens if you have a good bonus plan in play to make those national guys come. I mean, these tires aren't going to pay for themselves. You know, Hoosier's got the monopoly on everything right now. And to quite honestly, they're like the, the, the one of the only ones making a lot of money in racing right now, no matter what the economy is. All right. So um, people like Hoosier, you know, need to step up a little bit more, put more money back into things, hopefully, you know, on the regional level, as well as a national level, if we ever get there uh, and then make it an, uh, an event, you know, um, make it where people want to come and camp. They want to come and have a good time. Maybe there's a concert. Um, there's just different stuff going around. I think the Snowball Derby, the bonfire at the Oxford 250, those sort of little things just add to the ambiance. 
but we need more of that. So I think it's a combination. And, and listen, what is going to drive things is helping these racers to a certain degree. You don't want to cater to the racers because I agree with what Tom Mabry did. You do, you cater to a racer, then you're going to open up a Pandora's box that you're never going to be able to close, but you come up with a good set of rules and, and you listen to what they need in regards to schedules and so forth. And you really work with them and make them feel that, and they would be part of what you're doing. And I, I, Bubba Pollard's a good buddy of mine. And we talk a lot about that. And, um, you know, I, I think it's going to take without, you know, um, revealing the entire deck of cards. Um, it's going to take a whole big concerted effort of a big sponsor, uh, which will provide the money that you need for what you got to do with that tour, go to the right places and, and have it spread out and not just regionalized and don't come back with the national tour more than once per year to the same racetrack and national television coverage. That's important too. Well, I, I think that that's pretty much, you know, everything that we've been saying for a while now, you know, I, I, I'm a huge, huge, huge advocate for the, the theory or the notion that automobile racing, stock car racing, specifically what we do and what we love, you are not, if you are in the position of either owning a track, a series, uh, what you do with the media, things like that, you are not in the racing business, period. That is, you are not. You are in the entertainment business. Entertainment is what brings people to the racetrack, hence gets you money, hence gets people there makes it the bigger spectacle so that people will want to be involved in the racing industry. So everything that you just said is super refreshing to hear. I'm glad that, uh, you know, you guys on your end of things with the media and all that understand that. I think that that has been lost for quite a while, honestly. Um, you know, especially like you said, catering to the race car driver, the last person who should have any say in the matter in terms of how the show goes is the guy driving the car, because at that point, it, it, what's the point, you know, what, you know, what are you going to do that, uh, entertains people or gets people wanting to go if you're only catering to one person. So that's, I think that that's the, the perfect thing to say. You got to be careful of, of the, you know, the media too. Um, you know, media is good. Like, you know, listen, what you guys do, you're really not, you know, per se media guys, right? You're just lovers of racing. That's what I want to see more of. You know, I don't necessarily agree with some of what the the media does these days, um, but if they love it, that's fine. The, my problem is is everybody's got a voice, and and to some degree, journalism has been lost um, in the fact that everybody thinks opinions, which is great, and commentary is great, but it's just commentary and, and opinions. What we're doing today. Hey, we're three dudes just talking about racing because we love it. And that's that's good for racing. But it, it's it's not what a lot of the media portray them as themselves as, which is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a factual guy. No, you're, you're stating your opinion on what should be. And there's a difference between the two. And I see a lot of that all over the country. And we got to be really careful about that, because honestly, perception is reality. And sometimes when we, we shout out all these opinions, uh, they become facts somehow. And, and it's the way it's delivered. And, and that's something that's really got to change. And I've talked to a lot of the industry people about that, including the promoters and stuff. And, and trust me, they're very frustrated with it. Do you think that the, the battle to be first sometimes uh, <laughs> in, in terms of, uh, you know, promoting and, uh, uh, you know, getting the word out that that, that maybe is a, a hindrance upon, you know, what we're seeing with the media? Yeah, it's stupid. 
I mean, you know, who cares if you're first, you know, as long as you're right, you right. know, and you deliver the stuff. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I get so frustrated with, with that side sometimes, um, you know, just because of the variety of things and how journalism, and I wouldn't even say journalism, just how the media has evolved, you know, it, it's, it's instant, you know, I mean, social media is great. Social media sucks as well sometimes. Um, and, you know, everybody mouthing off, um, you know, I know a lot of tracks and series that put some stuff into play and you're familiar with some of them. You know, if you say something, guess what? You might not be able to get into the racetrack. And, and it's only to try to protect certain things, you know, because sometimes what you say about a track or a series, you know, can really have big dividends on whether a new fan comes to the racetrack if they see that. And I think people don't understand when they open their mouth, they should probably, and I do this a lot, I'll get mad on social media and I'll type the darn thing out and I'll go, hmm, should I do that? What is my wife or my mom going to say about that? <laughs> you know, and then I erase it. Um, and some people should probably take that 24 hour rule. And if they still feel that way in 24 hours and they want to go and put that out in social media, by golly, go and do it. Uh, but uh, to do it, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah it's just crazy. Later, then go get it. <laughs> yeah. And it's an interesting aspect, you know, unfortunately we sometimes pertain in, or we, we, we dabble, I guess, in the adult beverages and sometimes a tweet might pop up that <laughs> wasn't from us consciously. And then the next day we'll delete it. That's our 24 hour rule. <laughs> yeah. If we agree with it when we're, you know, coherent, then, you know, it probably meant something. So uh, I've, I've done the same thing, dude. I, I remember people were bashing speed 51 short track draft a couple of years ago and um it was like midnight and you know just it was a good night and i got on there and i started responding to people you know and and i went into the office the next morning and rob blount who worked for us you know said was that you and i'm like yeah he goes i love when you get on twitter like that <laughs> he says i got a, tw a text from noah gregson going who's handling the speed 51 twitter right now so you know it, it's fun because a lot of times I'll get on there and like Freddie Kraft and I went back about his, you know, his giants and the whole Philly Washington game and all that sort of stuff. And I just tried to instigate a little bit and he got all riled up, but uh, if you do that, it's fine. But you know, there, there's a line that you can cross between having fun and, you know, calling out somebody for something that maybe happened that they didn't even want to happen. And that you don't even give them a chance to try to rectify something. It so in this year that 2020 has been, obviously there's been tons of challenges for the tra for tracks themselves with, you know, local regulations and stuff and, and events getting postponed. But it, in the media aspect, has it actually allowed for a little bit more growth potentially, whereas people, some events people can't even go to and they're only allowed to, you know, watch through Speed 51 or Mad TV. Yeah, I, I think everything has evolved this year. And, and we've seen it from, you know, the, uh, the Mav TV side and the Lucas Oil uh, streaming side and even Speed 51. Um, and I, I know talking to a lot of other people, you know, um, that obviously within COVID times and the, and the capacity limits and so forth, you know, a, a lot of people bash, uh, whether it's Speed 51 or, you know, it, it could be Dirt Vision, it could be whomever, you know, they bash them and they don't realize what the business structure is. Any time that these entities do something, I would say 99% of the time, 
the track is getting some revenue or the series or something like that. And they don't realize that, oh, the pay-per-view is way too much. All right, dude, listen, then, then go to the racetrack. We'd love for, I don't want you to watch the stream, honestly. I don't want you to watch the stream. I want you to go to the darn racetrack and have fun and watch some good racing. But if you can't for whatever reason, okay, then basically when it's a pay-per-view, you usually match the ticket price. Well, now you don't have fuel, you don't have a hotel, you don't have, you know, whatever else. And, and you get to sit back and watch it and then hopefully go to the next one. So what we saw this year is that I, I can give you, for instance, Cherokee Speedway, Scott Childress and Gaffney, South Carolina, the place your mama warned you about. They, they had called me, Bob, I think, you know, we can work with the government and we can get a race. And so Scott Childress, myself, a lot of people, we worked with the local government in South Carolina. And, and we're talking about um, this was the first race in the South. And there was a sponsor behind us, but he and I promoted that first race at Cherokee Speedway. And basically what we did in very difficult times is all that pay-per-view money initially went towards the purse. It was a $42,000 purse that had to be paid, okay? Well, there wasn't much after that, but we held a race. And you know what? You know, uh, you know, some of the people said, well, why do we do that, Bob? You know, that's, that's crazy, you know, because we didn't make money on it. You know what? Felt good in my heart uh, that we were able to have a race. The racers were able to race. They were, you know, cooped up for a while and frustrated and people got to watch it. And in a difficult time in America, the world, okay, people, yes, they had to pay a pay-per-view price, but they still were able to watch it. And that just felt good to me. And you got people like Stafford, depending on how many pay-per-views, they add more money to the purse. I mean, all that stuff is good, but I caution that in good times where that is fine. And I think if, if it can be done, it's awesome. But these promoters, these owners, sometimes they're barely getting by. And sometimes the revenue that's brought in by whomever it is as a streaming partner is helping them pay their bills. And sometimes you're not always, these operators are not always going to be able to give some of that money back to the purse. That, I, that's incredible you just said that because you answered my next question through Sorry. every sentence that you said there. Because my next question was going to be there. There was a lot of people that had the argument of, you know, if you're watching on TV, then you're not at the racetrack. So what was your argument towards that? But you just covered all of that uh, in a pretty, pretty flawless stream there. So uh, thank you for that. But um, you know, I, I think you do a phenomenal job. I think speed 51 needs to continue doing what they're doing because, you know, there's, you know, you guys do a lot of stuff for, for places that we probably can't go to or, or, you know, would love to be at, but just circumstances are what they are. So uh, I, I think that you, you, you crush it out of the park every time and uh just just keep doing what you're doing man we appreciate not it. every time though not every time what's, what's, your biggest blunder? what's your biggest blunder something that you maybe maybe you think should have gone a different way a, a lot of those streaming you know side of things has evolved over time and i think that's something that uh you know at least according to the speed 51 side of things there have been a lot of blunders in regards to drop streams or bad quality or whatever it may be and and i can tell you what uh, from the that side of things it, it's never because of a lack of effort and we've done a lot of stuff behind the scenes to help people that have had trouble and people don't understand that 
but um, those streams and the drops and the evolution on how to do it, um, you know, has, especially in some of these remote areas, has been an embarrassment to myself, uh, to Speed 51 as a company. And I know, you know, things are being, you know, done right now to ensure that uh, new technology, um, new investments for them. And, and from the Lucas Oil side as well, you know, new things have been, you know, going forth there uh, to be able to ensure that people can get these streams if they're paying the subscription or the pay-per-view that they'll continue to be able to watch it. Because I tell you what, social media, that needle goes crazy when the stream drops. And I get it, I, I've been there, I've gotten frustrated before and I've been part of it and home and watching and I've been frustrating, what the heck's going on? So um, I understand it um, and you know I can tell you that no matter who it is, it could be Dirt Vision, it could be Flow, it could be the Lucas Oil folks, Speed 51, no matter who it is, uh, they work hard to make sure that they get the stream, but people have to understand how difficult it is sometimes in some of these rural geographic areas. If only they took that 24-hour rule and you know, <laughs> implemented that during that, I think that you'd probably be able to figure out that stream within 24 hours, and they would have been, you know, it would have been fine. It would have never that tweet would have never been out into the airwaves. But uh, yeah, people, uh, people go from zero to 100 pretty quick on, on the social media. But I think that these streams are important, and, and like you said, with some of this money going back into the actual racetrack, it just assures that although we can't get to the racetrack today, it means that we can get to that racetrack at some point in the future. And uh, it's, you know, all this media is important in keeping these racetracks alive so that we can attend them in person at some point in our lives. And get to that 293? 293, 293, baby. 293 number. So so one question I do have for you, kind of, yeah. kind of wrapping things up here a little bit. I know you're a busy guy, so we'll get you on your way here. But, um, you know, one thing I like to ask everybody, you know, going to a racetrack in general or going to or being a part of auto racing, you know, some people like the speed, some people like, you know, actually driving side by side with people. Some people like going different places and traveling. Other people just like hanging out with people. So what is it that brings Bob Dillner to the racetrack? What is it that keeps you fiending to get back to a racetrack every weekend? I'm really good, glad you asked that question. I love the questions that you guys have been, been, you know, shooting at me because I realized it not this past year, but the year before. Um, sometimes you lose sight and it's business and you got another TV show to do and that sort of thing. And sometimes you don't get to appreciate and feel what you did as a kid. And I went to Madison International Speedway in Wisconsin uh, for an ARCA race. And I know ARCA hasn't had the best car counts or anything like that. But during practice, I sat up in the grandstands in the pit grandstands in turn number one. And, and I heard the noise that I fell in love with. And, and it was that type of racetrack where you're off the gas, you're on the brake, you kind of burp it in the corner, you know? So it's, you know, and you get back up on it. And that just, I said, man, that's what I love right there. I, I remember watching like a Mike Uanitsko, who was just fantastic. And, and for a short period of time was one of the best on the Wheel of Modified Tour, but watching him, you know, as a, I think he was like a 16 year old battling against some of those veterans at, at Riverhead Raceway back in the day. And he was able to manipulate that throttle in such a way that just made me, my heart beat. And I, I think it's that sound and the bad to the bone look of those race cars that I've always fell in love with. And, and this is a passion for me. I make a living out of it, um, but at the same time, 
I love it. You know, and a lot of people, you know, like, Hey, we're going to go out to dinner. You know, you want to join us, man, I'm going to go to a power eye midget race down the road at Macon Speedway because it's down the road from Granite city, Illinois, where the Lucas oil late model dirt series is. And, you know, I love doing that. And I think that's the biggest thing for me is um, that noise, the looks of the cars. I can tell you whether a car is going to be slow or fast. You guys can too, uh, by the looks of it and the attitude. Uh, so I think those are the things that really just, uh, you know, make me fall in love with the sport all over again. Well, I, I, I've always said that whether it be building or driving, you know, race cars in general, whatever it is that you're doing with it is very much an art form. Uh, especially on the racetrack, those those behind the wheel are, are very much artists, in my opinion, in terms of what they're doing with it. Um, so it's 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 good to hear that you you say that. So you have anything else, Bradley? Oh, just the last thing, just just what you were saying about what brings you back to the racetrack. I think the one thing that I realized is that so like growing up as a kid, for me it was the atmosphere and obviously the experience and the sounds, the smells, the sights, and all this stuff and and track attendance around this general area for whatever reason has, has started to decline a little bit, I would say. But I think that this year it was nice to get like reinvigorated going to Stafford. Like, like we've talked about Stafford a lot and just how great of a job that they do just even a weekly show there. It was like, I was sitting in the grandstands and there was a couple of times I actually went by myself. Um, and I just had some friends that, that are there and eventually, you know, I'll, I'll stumble upon them, but uh, just sitting there by myself and just kind of looking around and like getting the atmosphere and just being like, wow, this is like, this brings me back to being a kid almost where, and I, I don't know what the attendance looked like this year. Obviously this is 2020. So maybe more people were even at the racetrack. Cause it was such, there was so little to do, but uh, just sitting at Stafford for a weekly show this year really kind of brought me back to my roots as a kid being like, this is what I remember where just the passion and the excitement and just how not packed the stands were because they had a capacity limit, but it was like, everyone just knew everyone. And, you know, there was yelling and screaming good and bad. And, and it was just something that brought me back to being a kid. And that's what keeps me going back to the racetrack. So, um, and, and that's what I like, you know, uh, I'll give you, for instance, uh, this year, I went to Florence Speedway um, outside of Cincinnati in Kentucky, Union, Kentucky. And I went there with the Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series. And when hot laps came out, I was just looking at, at the fans. I was up in the tower and I'm looking at the fans and they have all their racing shirts on. That's something a little bit different too from dirt to pavement. Everybody's got a racing shirt on in the dirt crowd. And every time a race car came out in the racetrack, they're pointing, they're going, oh, look, he's there. And, and you know, in pavement, we, we complain when the entry list is not out because we want to know who's coming to the racetrack. Well, dirt, I just talked to Tony Stewart's team uh, just down the road from here. And, you know, I said, what's Tony's schedule like? And it's like, well, we got like, you know, they showed me that they got like four possible races on a single day. And it depends on the mood that Tony's in or weather or whatever. And he'll just show up. There's no harm in just showing up these days. You don't have to have an entry list, but all those people in, in, in Florence there at that racetrack, which is awesome, by the way, they ride the rim there, bang off the boards. It's unbelievable. Um, but they were so passionate about seeing Tur Turbo Tyler Erb and, you know, uh, Rocketman Josh Richards and Superman Jonathan Davenport that, you know, that right there showed you that's what racing's all about. That's what we need to have. And I'm glad you experienced it at Stafford. I've experienced it in so many places. And I want to see more people, especially on that pavement side, 
be able to get back to that feeling and bring that family and have fun. And, and these owners, track promoters need to have some special deals for families as well. I will say that. Um, but uh, if we can get that feel back that you guys know, um, that's the single biggest problem to overcome in racing right now. How do, how do we do it then? If, you, if you're owning a racetrack, if, if, you're, if I'm going to Bob Dillner Speedway. Winchester Speedway. Okay, so that's, that's your place. All right. Uh, what are you doing that's, that's bringing me back? What, what, is it, what are the like, three key things that you're doing to bring us back to that racetrack every week? Affordable tickets, number one. Uh, a carnival-like atmosphere. Um, and some special things that are, are built into the program that are not going to be racing-related. That can like for the Winchester 400, uh, we brought in some amusement rides. All right, so we put the fun slide up, uh, we put a rock climbing wall, um, and we had a couple other things that were just fun things for people. I mean, we had adults going down the fun slide. Okay, uh, I wanted to, I never got to because I was a little bit busy. Uh, we brought in like carnival food instead of having our own vendors there, which we can give you your your, your ordinary hot dog or hamburger. But we brought in carnival vendors with funnel cakes and corn dogs and burgers and pizza and all sorts of stuff. Fill up that midway. Make people want in down times, because down times is the worst thing that you can have at a racetrack. Make them want to get to the midway. Say, oh, hey, in the break, I'm going to get down there because I want to see this. Okay. Have music pumping, you know, that, that kept people excited you know whether it's just in a downtime or prior to the races or you know i went to the lucas oil off-road racing series a few years ago and they had welcome to the jungle plan as the pro four class came to the green flag you know stafford has has the songs when the sk modifieds are on that final lap how many racetracks in america don't have that how many don't have a, a vibrant electrifying announcer to engage in people. It's all about the feel that you get. And, and I think so many racetracks just, you know, are subpar. I'm not going to say fail in that, but are subpar in that. And it takes that package altogether because you can have a good race. Man, people are going to talk about it. But if they had downtime and if your program ran to like, you know, 12, one o'clock in the morning, that sucks. And, and families aren't going to do that. I can tell you as a father of five, um, and I've stayed at certain racetracks, which I won't name until one o'clock in the morning. And then my kids were honorary the next day getting up and it wasn't worth staying until that late at night. It's the, that's the perfect answer. Honestly, I think, I think <laughs> filling the, filling the downtime, like you said, and, and making it a show. I mean, you said the announcers when we were at the snowball derby, I, I am not one for single car qualifying. I just am not, but that was a show. It was a spectacle. And 99% of that was probably the announcer keeping me up on my seat with what was going on and keeping me informed and entertained the whole time. So um, I think, I think you're just, you're one of the few that gets it, which is, it's good because we need that, especially with someone in your position. So. Hey, do you like how Robbie Harvey is who you're talking about down to five flags? And, you know, Stephen Nassie on the inside, on the inside, on the inside, contact, contact, contact. Yeah. Yes, yes, that exactly. Yeah, we're, we're very familiar with uh, uh, Marco, for Marco Thomas for oh, the yes. All-Star Series. He, he's a legend around here. Uh, Hold on. Austin, uh, one of my all-time favorite humans for sure. He, he's been on the show before. He's phenomenal. Um, you know, it, there's, it's an art form. Again, it's another art form to what is at the racetrack. 
I, I love Marco because he says, Travis Benjamin. <laughs> we, we got down there to do a Marco impression. His, his delivery of just the, even just a simple, like DJ Shaw, DJ Shaw. Like it, Shaw it, in the 60 machine. <laughs> it, just his presentation was so perfect. And it was something that, it, honestly, like you'd look forward to at the race. Like you'd go to the Oxygen 250 and you just want to hear Marco just calling anything, heat races, whatever. Hey, is it Austin or Adam that's at Star Speedway? Uh, the announcer there. Because he's good too. Tyler. It's Tyler. It's Tyler Morris now. Okay, Tyler Morris. We were watching, you know, like a four cylinder class, and some guy goes, you know, he's like, ah, here goes, you know, John Smith off the track, and oh, he's got a tree. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds about right. Yeah, there's yeah. still no wall back there. <laughs> okay, okay. Thank you for answering that. Yeah. If you can leave the racetrack with a sound bite, like the whole time it, we're, we're down at Florida, right? We're all going, contact, contact, contact. Like that's just what we were saying because you heard it a hundred times. But if you can leave the racetrack with a sound bite and knowing you had a good time, I think that that's, that's key. Yeah, and I, I go back to, you know, you talk about announcers. They're so important. James Essex has got such a cadence with the Lucas Oil Elite Model Dirt Series. People mimic him because he'll go, oh my, oh my, the caution is out. The caution is out. Bishop Brandon Shepard. And he's got such a rhythm to his voice that it just engages you. Um, and, and you know something special is going on. So I, I just love listening to all those guys. Even when the World of Outlaws come out, you know what they're going to say before the race starts. You know, every, everybody's up on their feet, you know, saying exactly what it is. You know, you wanted the best. You got them for our breasts. And everybody's yelling it. It's a scene. And it, it's all, it all just kind of wraps back into it's a show. You got to make it a show. You got to get people interested. You got you to make it a spectacle. One of my favorite lines, I, I did the American Sprint Car Series a couple of years ago, and Brian Holbert is the announcer for the ASCS series. And he does something prior to the green flag that's pretty cool. He, he, he told me the first time, he goes, hey, you know, with a lap to go, it's mine. I'm like, all right, dude, that's less I have to talk. No problem, right? So, so it, it coming off the fourth turn, he does something with, you know, whatever. And he goes, this is what you saved your lunch money for. <laughs> I loved it. Love that, yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone's got their own little unique thing that that you know is yeah. is theirs, I guess, and that's his. Well, what, whatever you make your own niche, that's that's important in 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 terms of not only brand identity but keeping people interested. Like I said, you can't harp that point enough. Where you know, if if people aren't interested, they're not going to come back. If they're not coming back, then you're not going to have a racetrack, and that's that's really key. And I I think, like I said, you know, you guys do a phenomenal job at that. You you specifically also do a job, you know that. Uh, you know like no other and i think there's a reason why you know we're, we're not trying to date you by any means but there's a reason why we always used to watch you on tv and you know we still keep coming back and, and paying for those pay-per-views if we can't make the actual show so uh thank you for all that you do i mean that's this has been incredible i think this has been one of our better shows for sure so uh thank you for giving us your time and we know you're a busy guy no problem yeah keep up the good work too i mean uh I appreciate you guys having that passion and I can see it in your eyes. I can hear it in your voice and uh, we all need to work together on that. So uh, just keep up the good work and I'll keep on listening to the podcast. Well, we appreciate it. Uh, anybody trying to find you, how do they find you on the socials? Uh, Twitter is really where I'm at. I'm on Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff too, but I really don't interact. Uh, so Twitter at Bob Dillner and that's two L's and uh, 
Uh, excited about going to the Chili Bowl again. I'll be there in the desk looking at 300-something race cars behind me and then off to uh, Florida Speed Weeks with the Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series with uh, all those races and all those stars. Man, I can't wait to get the season started. Sounds good, man. Hopefully we'll see you down there in a few weeks and uh, you, have a, you have a good rest of your day. Appreciate it. Hey, East Bay, you got to come to the clay by the bay. I'll invite you. Just give me a call or something. I can do that. Sounds good. We'll see you down there. Race car, race car. Here we go, race car.